Welcome to the Face-Offs and Fantasy Podcast with your two co-hosts, Sean and Marcus. This is episode number 15. Marcus, how are you doing today? You forgot to mention our special guest as well, I was Kevin. Ge- I was getting there. <laughs> I was getting there. Fair enough, fair enough. I was just asking you how you're doing first, trying to be polite. Okay. I, I thought, I, thought I, maybe I wasn't well. invited. I thought maybe <laughs> I came on on the wrong week. I know, right? <laughs> John wanted to, you know, keep it a surprise, I guess. Okay, never mind, Marks. I don't need to know how you're doing anymore. <laughs> nope, I'm good. <laughs> um, the other thing, Marcus, that I wanted to mention is you and I are in the same building. So yes. Marks, Marks and I are recording together again. So that's a little bit exciting. It's only the second time in 15 episodes we've done it. But spoiler alert. Thanks, Marks. You're supposed to say spoiler alert before you drop news like that. <laughs> Kevin, the massive fan favorite. That's, you know, all the feedback we've gotten from when Kevin was on earlier in the Everyone just said, bring back Kevin. Bring back Kevin. Getting calls from the United States. Getting calls, you know, internationally about getting Kevin back. So Kevin is with us here today. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be back with you guys. Where else would you rather be but indoors on a day when it's minus 25 out? So I'm happy to be back with you and have something to do here while we record uh, episode 15. And by the way, congratulations. Uh, the over-under on the number of episodes you guys would get through was 10. So you're doing really well. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, we've we've bursted <laughs> right through there then. That's, <laughs> we're up to 1.5, uh, I guess, out of 1. Yeah. You're, you know what? We're just as surprised as you are, Kevin. No, I'm that, just kidding. You know that. That we've made it this far. So it's pretty impressive. But thank you so much for coming back. We are happy to have you again. Spice it up a little bit. Get some real life stories, which is always awesome in terms of the podcast itself. But how's life for you? What's new in your life? Going well. Other than the lockdowns hit me kind of hard this time. I was playing hockey three times a week up until the most recent one. I I found uh, other games where I can play Mondays and Thursdays. So I was playing Monday, Thursday, and Friday. And then I was swimming three or four times a week. And I'm not doing any of that right now. So... Fortunately, yesterday we found a pond and we played a little hockey on the pond. That was fun. But that's really the extent of my activity right now. Wow, that's very nice. So I have to far ask, too I have to far ask too Kevin. far too many angry orchard ciders consumed. <laughs> Kevin, I, Kevin, I have too. to ask you. Um, so, as a former goaltender or you know college level goaltender, do you play goalie when you're playing hockey, or do you play player? I'm, I'm a defenseman now, but my buddies call me the Rover because I'm a start on the blue line, but I'm not often there. And I sold the pads. I sold the pads when I was 25. So it's been almost 30 years since I sold uh, the goalie pads. And that was probably the best thing I ever did. But the truth of it is that I feel like I've played two different sports because I've played these two positions. So I played, what was it, about 15 or 18 years in net and now I've played close to 30 years as a skater and it really does feel like a different sport of course it's not but as a goaltender everything comes to you you react to everything as on defense and as I say I'm not there very often as I'm joining (laughs) the attack or sometimes leading the attack it's a very different feeling because you get to create and people have to react to you yeah no i definitely hear what you mean in that context for me when you were talking about that it just reminded me of my time playing baseball and the massive difference between playing catcher and playing anywhere else on the field right you know i i had spent time in 
left field, right field, a little bit of center field, played third base, played second base, and then ended up playing catcher for the majority of my like competitive baseball years. And it is a huge difference. Playing catcher, you're back there, you're part of literally every single play because mm-hmm. every single play there's a pitch. And on every pitch, you're either going to be catching it or you're going to be involved in at least the way of calling what the pitch is going to be and trying right. to get everybody to play defense in front of you. But then sometimes, you know, you play left field and you get like two balls in nine innings <laughs> and you're kind of just sitting you're, there and you're uh, looking, you're picking dandelions out there, picking dandelions, chewing on some sunflower seeds, just trying not to be bored and keep your mind in the game. Cause you know, it could be any, any single pitch where the ball comes to you, but yeah, playing catcher was a lot of fun. So I can play left field. The, the, the train goes by and you're counting the cars on the train <laughs> rather than watching the game. Oh yeah, there's there's been some times for sure. It's hard at night too. We had some night games and playing out in left field. It's really hard sometimes to see the ball once it gets you know really high pop fly. Yeah. I remember that happened yeah. to me one time. I was there and like I hit it really, really high. And I was under it and then all of a sudden I lost it. And my center fielder was pretty close to me. And I mm-hmm. was like, I need help. I need help. <laughs> He's like, What? <laughs> I'm like, I can't see it. I can't see it. And he had to like run over and try to catch the ball. Um, but yeah, yeah, because some of the lighting in that par- the parks we were playing in wasn't exactly Rogers Center style. Yeah, it's unfortunate because, I mean, I played at Bond Park in Toronto, which is a pretty well-known park um, if you're in the baseball scene there. That's and on it's Lawrence, a pretty good right? Field. Yeah, just off of Lawrence. Yeah, you can yeah. you can get it to it from Lawrence or Don Mills. But if you, ever, if you come from the Lawrence side, it has those funky houses. Yeah. You know, those like blue funky houses. I don't know if you've ever seen them before. They have like odd shapes on them, like triangles and like mm-hmm. different types of shapes, like right on the actual houses themselves. So that was for sure something that was a little bit different. And but I getting back to mean. Marcus's question, that was a really good one. And, and I'm really happy that I switched positions because, you know, I love hockey and now I've seen it from two totally different mm-hmm. perspectives. Mm-hmm. And we played hockey together the one time, Kevin. And if you oh, yeah, had we're asked, not done. I'll be, be be inviting you again for sure. Yeah. Well, but if you had asked me then, I would have said that you were a forward. <laughs> Definitely not a defenseman. Right. I think I think you had like six goals or something, didn't you? Well, it was my birthday party, and I think you guys were probably taking it easy on me. Well, not me. <laughs> Maybe other people. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I remember you had a, a really hard wrist shot. A lot of weight behind it. <laughs> A lot of practice on the street, probably like you guys when you were kids uh, playing in your out front of your house. I would say that's one skill both Marcus and I could probably use some improvement on. <laughs> At least to speak for myself. It's been several years since we got to play some street hockey. <laughs> yeah, but the shot in particular, definitely, definitely need to get some more power behind that. Well, I guess no one's going to ask me how I'm doing. That's that's fine. It's okay. Okay, how are how you doing, Sean? <laughs> I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to have Kevin on the podcast, so I don't need to talk about myself. That's okay. We can just we can move on. Thanks for asking though, Marcus. <laughs> so Kevin, last time you were here, you know, we had obviously the big conversation about Chicago and everything that happened there. But we also did get a chance to talk about you a little bit and some of your experiences. And we were hoping we could build off of that and actually ask you some more questions that might be of interest to some of our listeners. So if sure, you're no good with that, that's the direction we would like to head. No problem. All right. So you were a scout 
and that was with uh, Western Michigan. And we would love to hear some more stories. In particular, did you ever have to come up into Canada with scouting with that job? Sure did, yeah. Both at Miami for two years, and then following that, three years at Western Michigan when I was an assistant coach, we were, did a lot of scouting, as you say. We called it recruiting. And we spent a lot of time in Canada. It, the USHL was not the league that it currently is, and the, the state of U.S. hockey forced us to harvest our talent and look for our talent across Canada. And as a matter of fact, the NCAA teams now, they do some quite a bit of scouting in Europe as well. We didn't do any, any of that. So we, our main focus areas were BC, Alberta, and Ontario. A little bit in Quebec, but not much. Mostly southern Ontario. And then every now and then we'd go out to BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. And uh, I've got some stories from my, my, my trips out to Saskatchewan that uh, we could get into. And I also have one from um, when I was at Miami going and uh, looking at uh, a life lesson, really, a lesson that I can talk about when I was going to look for a goaltender by the name of John Hillebrand out in Wisconsin. We drove, uh, or I drove from Oxford, Ohio out to uh, Wisconsin one night. So I've got, yeah, I've got, I've been, I've been all over the place. Never got to BC, but uh, our other coaches spent some time in BC. My main areas of focus back in the day were the USHL, Saskatchewan, and Ontario is where I spent the most of my time. And before we get into it, because I want to hear about both of those stories, was your position solely focused on goaltending or did you also get to see other positions as well? No, I was recruiting all positions and no, I, we shared the duties and what would happen is I would go out and I might get the first look or the second look and then the head coach would fly in if we were about to make an offer Nowadays, it's probably more like the head coach would watch some video. But mm. back uh, in the 1990s, when I was a recruiter, an assistant coach, it was more likely that the head coach would want to lay eyes on the player at least once before making the scholarship offer. Fair enough. Well, I would love to hear about those stories. You mentioned Saskatchewan in particular, and you also mentioned your time obviously with the Miami school, and then you talked about going to Wisconsin. So, I'm going to ask to hear about the Saskatchewan story first. Okay, well, uh, so I took a trip out to Saskatchewan, and we actually flew into North Dakota, Minot, North Dakota, and drove across, rented a car and drove across. So I spent, I think, 10 or 14 days, somewhere between that on one of my trips, and I did get to Flin Flon, Manitoba. Could either one of you guys find Flin Flon on a map? No, I've Uh, never... I've never not, been to Manitoba. I cannot. <laughs> that's a, that's a I had no idea. I'd heard of it only because of Bobby Clark had played his junior hockey there. And I, I really didn't even know that it wasn't in Saskatchewan. I'm in Saskatchewan and I'm watching the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. And Flin Flon, Manitoba is a border town of 5,000 people. And they had a team in that loop. And I had never heard of any of my colleagues, any of the assistants that I saw on the road and that's the other thing is you would see the same coaches a variety of coaches recruiters for other teams on the road so you you actually became friends with some of the other assistant coaches from the other teams your your competitors in the ncaa in the league but anyway not many people ever got up to flin flon and i never heard tell of anybody actually making the trek up there but uh, the one story i've got for you today is from my trip out to saskatchewan and i wound it up wound up in manitoba Went flown to Manitoba. It is well, well north of Regina. I think it's about eight hours north of Regina. Wow. Wow. 
that is uh, so, <laughs> some serious distance there. Must be pretty cold. How, how many people in the car? Did you drive yeah. by yourself? Yeah, I was by myself, and it was cold. It was actually, I, I want to say it was December, but I was dealing with some of the, the elements like we're dealing with here in Ontario this month. It was I remember it being very cold to the point where in Melville, I went to a game in Melville, Saskatchewan, and I remember driving up to the uh, arena around 6, 6.30, and there were, I guess I was maybe a little later than that because there were quite a few cars. might have been about a half an hour before game time, and there were quite a few cars of fans that was already in the lot. And what I was really taken aback by is I noticed that the cars were all running, or many of them were running, left running. Now, this is dark, cold, mm. and I'm in my rental car. And so I got out and I asked somebody in the parking lot, I said, you know, why are these cars running? He said, well, if you don't leave them running, it's very unlikely your car is going to start at 1030 when we come out <laughs> after the game. Whoa. So there <laughs> were, there were also, <laughs> yeah, there were also plug-in stations. But I didn't have the, in my rental car, I guess I didn't know how to do it or I didn't have the, the ability. So I just left it running, locked it up. Nice. <laughs> that is uh, pretty crazy. I mean, it's been pretty cold here lately, but certainly not that cold. Yeah, I was, that really floored me. That was Melville, Saskatchewan. But the, the story about Flynn Fons, go back to that. I was on my trip and I, I think I told you I was out there 10 or 14 days. So I've probably been watching in Southern Saskatchewan, in and around Regina and Yorkton and, uh, Melville and Humboldt. I even got to Humboldt, you know, where the, the, the tragedy happened with the Humboldt yeah. Broncos. I actually did recruit one of the Humboldt Broncos and he came to Western Michigan, but that's another story. The Flin Flon story is I saw a kid by the name of Lane Humany, a big 200 pound defenseman that I really liked. He could move the puck. I thought his feet were okay. A fairly mobile player. And so I saw him, I don't remember the city I saw him in, but it was a road game and he played for the Flin Flon Bombers. And if you do the research about Flin Flon, you'll see that they've had several really the successful famous NHL players come out of Flin Flon, but it's not like it's a backwater. It's, it's just a really remote town and not many scouts go up there. So I decided that I needed to see him play one more time. I didn't want to take a report back to my coach that was flawed or deficient or wrong and saying, this is a defenseman that we need. So the only way it fit into the schedule before my flight was I was going to have to see Flin Flon play a home game. So I did a little research and had to figure out where it was and um, all that stuff and called the coach up there. His name was Norm Johnston, and he'll come into the story a little bit later. But So I, I decide I'm going to take the rental car up there, and I don't know how long it's going to take, and I don't want to be late, so I leave lots of time. I think I left just before noon on the day I was going up for a 7 o'clock game, probably yeah, late morning I left, and it was about I think it was about seven hours to get up there, something like that. So I, I ended up getting up there. I think I got up there at 545. And I remember distinctly going into this diner and I hadn't eaten uh, since breakfast and it was a light breakfast. So I was really hungry and I thought, well, I'll slip into this diner because I think the game started at 730 and it's now like 545. It's getting close to six o'clock. And that's the key, key part of the story because I go in and it's one of those old fashioned diners with those spin stools. And you've got the menu is in those little black letters that you can sort of pull out one at a time. And so it was a really old fashioned looking place like you might expect up there. I go in and I say, I say to the girl behind the counter, I say, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'll have the soup and the tuna sandwich. I just needed some nutrition at that point. And she looks at me and she pauses. I look at her and she says to me, you're not from around here, are you? I said, no, no. This is a Saturday night, by the way. And I said, no, I'm not. She says, well, sorry, but this diner closes at six. 
<laughs> so, didn't get my, oh, didn't no. get my dinner didn't get my didn't get my dinner after all. So then, of course, I went out looking for other places. I didn't have a lot of time. I went out looking on the the street I was on, which I guess you'd consider to be one of the main streets, one of the commercial the area. Main street. I, I I could the only the only other thing I could find was a um, a hotel, and I wandered into the hotel thinking they might have a restaurant that was open, but I I had no luck there either. So ended up going. Uh, ended up my uh, dinner that night was a tub of popcorn at the game. <laughs> nice. That's not bad. So yeah. So I get up there, and. Um, it, it's it's an old it's an old barn. I mean, it is a really cool place. And I'm watching Lane Humini, and I'm you know kind of impressed, but not as impressed as the first time I saw him. So I'm 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 hoping he he turns it around for the second half of the game. And I was still kind of debating whether I was going to need to see him a third time when the game ended. And I decided uh, to go down and talk to the coach a little bit more about him because remember I, I was uh, struggling to get there for the game on time. So I, I talked to Norm. I decided to talk to him after the game. So I'd never met him before. I'd talked to him on the phone. And he says, oh, not often we get scouts up here. Thanks for coming. He was really effusive. He spent a lot of time with me after the game. Really happy that uh, to, to see an NCAA scout up there. And we talked a little bit about his player, his team, et cetera. And then, you know, we, we were finished. And I said, well, we're not ready to make Lane an offer yet, but I'm going to give a good report to my coach and we'll be in touch. And um, the, the point of the story is, is that afterwards, Norm came out again. And I said, well, he said, are you, uh, are you staying in Flin Flon tonight? I said, no, no, I just drove up. I'm driving back tonight down to wherever my hotel was. He, he said, oh, you need to be careful out there. And I said, uh, oh, what, uh, what do you mean, be careful? He said, well, you're driving back. It's a long drive back. I said, yeah. I said, what is it, the RCMP radar? He says, no, no, you're not going to see any cops out there. It's the moose. You don't want to hit a moose in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some... I was like, okay, that was a bit of a head shaker. I yeah. thought maybe I didn't make the right decision not to spend the night in Flin Flon driving back. I think I had to drive four or five hours back to my hotel in the dark. And did, did you see any moose? <laughs> I did. I did not. It, oh, I, thankfully, I didn't though, see it. Right? It was it was really dark and really cold. So I was just happy that the car didn't break down. Oh gosh, yeah, that would have been brutal <laughs> with that kind yeah. of cold I forgot, too. I forgot to mention on the way up the last hour they were not paved roads. I would say the last hour I was on dirt roads and I saw one car in an hour heading the other direction, only one. And I saw one car and a wolf in an hour. Wow. <laughs> that, that's what I call dedication to your craft, you know, going all the way to Flin Flon. Yeah. <laughs> not, not many scouts going there. I have a couple follow-up questions for you, Kevin. Sure. So my first one is when it comes to a player like that, when you're talking about Flynn Flan, like you must, do you get a tip on somebody like that? Is it the coach that calls you? Like, how do you know about going out to Flynn Flan yeah. as a scout? Sometimes, sometimes you do get tips. And if you're experienced enough, which I wasn't at that time, you have a huge Rolodex in your network. You have a lot of contacts and you can get a lot of tips to save yourself a lot of uh, time. We call them, Sometimes they're called bird dogs, these people that are out there watching for you and that will, you know, it might be a coach in the league and then he might say to you, well, you know, we just played X team and they have a really good right winger you might want to take a look at. But because you're friends with that coach, he's not afraid to share that information with you. So, yeah, there's there's quite a bit of time. Quite often that happens. But it, for me on that trip, no, I didn't have any leads on players. I was going to scout the league. It was known, and it still is, the Saskatchewan Junior League, as a real developer of players and young men, uh, a really tough league. 
And if you can handle that, the intensity of that league and be successful on at your position in that league, you're very well prepared to play in the CCHA at the time, which was at Western Michigan. So in that case, I was going up fairly blind, just wanted to see what was out there and ended up watching Lane Humany and a couple other players. And as I mentioned, I think on that same trip, I got a lead on Sean Zimmerman out of Humboldt. Lane Humany didn't come, the defenseman, but the, the center that I found in Humboldt, he did end up playing four years and doing well at Western Michigan. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because that, that's a far drive for potentially not picking anybody up. And not well, and it, that's how it worked out is, is I never uh, never saw that player again. I'm not sure what happened. I, I know he played one year at Northern Michigan, but he did not have a really successful college career, and he didn't graduate because when I looked him up on the database the other day, I just saw that he played one season of college hockey. My other follow-up question was about the number of times you see players. Because you mentioned a couple times in your story, like, oh, I saw him once, but I wanted to make sure to see him a second time. And then in the middle of that second game, you're like, ah, do I need to see him a third time? Did you have full autonomy to make those decisions at that time? Would it be totally up to you the number of times you see a player? Or was there like a magic number that you had to cover? For sure. With my boss, I flew out and then I created my own schedule. So I'm looking at the master schedule for the league and I'm deciding which teams I want to see for the first five, six days. And then based on what I've seen and which teams I want to see again, you know, I'll I'll have to go to Flin Flon or wherever else to see those players a second or third time. And then, of course, <laughs> sometimes you can even change your flight if you – I didn't do that very often, but uh, you can even change your flight to come back if you are really uh, really tracking somebody uh, important for you, for your for, team. Yeah. And I, you know, I just assume first class flights, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did, did I, you was, get like, I, was, I was lucky to get peanuts. <laughs> I was going to ask, did you like have a certain allowance per trip in terms of like food and stuff? Or how yeah. did that work? Yeah, you did. You had a per diem. And mm. I was pretty good about uh, trying to follow, follow that. I don't remember exactly how much it was. But when I was a player, you got a per diem. You got 30 bucks for the day. When I was a coach, I took money uh, i took a cash advance that's what it was i took a cash advance i may have had a credit card too but it mostly i remember going to the cage there in the treasury department at western michigan and getting a cash advance to pay for my uh, stuff and then you just had to file an expense report when you got back but the player thing was funny i remember that you'd get 30 bucks a day and you might be gone two or three days on a road trip and honest to god 30 us dollars felt like 500 Canadian dollars back <laughs> as, as, a, as a teenager for the coach to pass you 30 bucks was a really big deal. I remember that. Did you as, guys as like pool your money together and, and have some nice parties or anything like that? Or uh, I don't, I don't know about parties, but uh, we probably did pool our money together for food. Uh, I, I just remember feeling like I've made it. I'm getting the coach is giving me money. $30 a day. That's pretty sweet. I think that's what it was. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I mean, as as a scout, though, you must have stayed under your budget because popcorn for dinner every night would would have been pretty cheap <laughs> compared to uh, yeah. To a tuna yeah, there's not a lot. Combo. Let me put it this way: there's there's not a lot of things to buy in Flin Flon. That is very fair. I wasn't expecting you to say much else than that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's my Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League story. It's a great league, and and I I wish that I had spent more time out there. 
although at the time I was, I was missing the team, you know, you want to get back. How's the team doing? Uh, you have some relationships with the players that you want to keep going and talk to the players, but I should have spent more time on the road. I guess Recruiting you couldn't just check your smartphone to see how the team is doing. No, no. Because as I learned, recruiting is is the most crucial component, far more important than the actual tactical coaching. The recruiting of the players is far more important than any other thing that you do that will lead to success or failure. True. So I have a quick question in terms of, you said you were scouting certain areas. Were you mainly focusing on like the junior hockey leagues, like in terms of like the WHL or like the OHL, or were you looking elsewhere in like junior A and those leagues or... Also, did you, I guess, for university, were you only looking for high school players, essentially? Or were you, like, willing to, or could you recruit, like, a 20-year-old, for for example? Those are some good questions, and there's a lot to unpack there. It's like a multiple-layered question. I'll yeah. try and be as brief <laughs> as I can. The first part of that was, which leagues? The, the CHL, the Q, and the OHL, and the WHL were off limits. You cannot recruit to the NCAA, and you still can't to this day, oh, yeah. because they're considered to be professional. So we had to go to Tier 2, Junior A, or Junior B, or, as you mentioned, some high school players, or the USHL was considered a Junior A league, but not a Tier 1 Junior A league. The CHL that we all watch here yeah. in, in our, our regions is a Tier 1 Junior A league. We couldn't, We weren't allowed to. They weren't eligible, those players. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I, I should have thought of that. But. <laughs> so the, the second part of that was... Age. Oh, age. Right yes, now. right. So unfortunately, back in the day when, when we were recruiting, we, were, we thought and we tried to compete for the hotshot recruits who had shown their abilities when they were 15, 16, and 17. And we took probably too many 17 and 18-year-olds in terms of took them out of junior and brought them to our to our team. The trend these days, unless you're uh, unless you're one of the big schools such as Michigan or BU, Boston University, uh, the trend these days is to take older players. So players that are 19, 20, physically much more mature, and they've proven themselves for a longer period. And a lot of times what's happening is the team will the NCAA team will recruit the player at 17 or 18 and say, we're going to offer you a scholarship, but it doesn't kick in for two more seasons. So you have to go back and play one more year, maybe even two more years of junior before you're invited to be a freshman. Mm -hmm. That's the trend. It's trending older. There are some players in the NCAA right now that are 24, 25 years old. And that's partially because if you've been following the NCAA this year, they get everybody got a, an extra year of eligibility, COVID eligibility. So there, mm-hmm. you you were allowed to play five years instead of four because last year was such a write off. Yeah, right. When you were recruiting, you were looking at younger players, but yeah. nowadays yeah. it's not unlikely that you could be recruiting a twenty-one year old. Right? Yeah, so we. Their... You're right. That's exactly right. But we did recruit some older players, nineteen mm-hmm. and twenty years old. Like for example, the Zimmerman player. I think he was eighteen. And that was considered old. Uh, Jamal Myers was probably the best player I ever took to Western Michigan. And he played, he had a long career in the NHL. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Jamal was 17. And, you know, he's a dynamic player. We were, we, we were early on him. We were one of the first ones to contact him. Otherwise we would have lost him because he was being recruited by some of the more higher profile schools 
but he ended up we ended up winning that recruiting war and and that turned out really well he was a great player at western michigan but you know he's one of the i would say he's one of the exceptions to come in at 17 or 18 and do really well Mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting times change I mean, I was even yeah. thinking, you know, you were talking about going to see this big 200-pound defenseman. I feel like nowadays as well, they've kind of shifted a, a little bit away from focusing a lot on size and looking at feet speed and just your ability to be able to skate and move with the puck seems to be something that is becoming more and more important, I think, when it comes to younger players in development, right? It's so true. Did you see Matt Grizzlick play this week for the Bruins? I didn't catch any of the games, but he was on my fantasy hockey team last year. He had five five assists, and he's like just Tory Krug was there last year for the last several seasons with the Bruins as that exact player you just described, five foot eight, five foot nine, mobile, great puck skills. And Tory Krug leaves as a free agent, I think, to St. Louis, and and Boston finds Matt Grizzlick, who is basically a clone of Tory Krug. He was amazing. He's he's short. Uh, fast and uh, really got great hockey sense. And, and that's, you know, the other thing too, is they're training defensemen differently in their own zone these days. You, you know, they're, we used to be, I can't even believe this was true, but it used to be that you wanted a big defenseman who could actually move these big forwards away from the net, physically move them so the goalie could get a better view. Well, they don't, they don't really train that anymore. So they have different techniques of how to handle one-on-one coverage in front of uh, your goal, much different than when, when I was coaching. Yeah, no, it certainly changed a lot in that context. I mean, I'm even thinking about the Leafs, right? Like Morgan Riley is much more of a skilled, smooth skater. You know, you think about Rasmus Sandin being there. You think about even Travis Dermott. Like a lot of these guys are more skilled skating ability, like just focusing on that as well. And even before he left, Jake Gardner as well was known for his skating ability. Um, So you can certainly see the focus changing a lot nowadays and my personal see- philosophy as as a scout as a recruiter as a coach was that skating was far and away the most important thing even for defensemen unfortunately my philosophy or my view of what we should be recruiting at western michigan didn't always fit with the other coaches but i was very much uh, attracted to and wanted to recruit players that were very mobile and that were that had really good hockey sense, and um, not so much the the the, uh, the Roman Pollocks of the uh, of the league. <laughs> yeah, Radko Gudis, Roman Pollock. Yeah, yeah. Some bigger guys. You, yeah. you know, you were just ahead of your time, Kevin. That's all it was. If, if yeah, we'll go. We'll go with that. Now, we'll go. <laughs> you you would be extraordinarily uh, successful now if you were to go back into the business. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. All right, let's move on. Okay, so after your university or college days as a scout, uh, you transitioned to becoming a GM. So could you go a little more in detail on that? Sure. Yeah, no problem. In 1993, I think it was, I shut things down at Western Michigan for reasons that we were discussing earlier. I just didn't feel like I was having the impact I wanted to. And a friend of mine who was working in the league his name was Dave. He was a GM already in the USHL. I knew him from my Miami days, and we kept in close contact. So he uh, he realized that the Madison Capitals, which later became the Wisconsin Capitals, in Madison, Wisconsin, needed a needed help in the front office, and they had had a really bad year the year before, financially and with the team itself, team performance. 
And so he knew uh, an owner who had just purchased the team and he connected us and I interviewed and I moved to Madison in late 1993 to take over as the GM and director of hockey operations. And he was an absentee owner. He lived in uh, Pennsylvania. Hmm. And so I was, I was running the show in, 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 as the GM. Nice. Can I interject for a second with a question, Kevin? Sure. You mentioned that you interviewed for it. I'm just curious to know, like what kind of questions are being asked in an interview for a GM slash president of hockey ops kind of role? Yeah, they weren't, it wasn't a formal interview. He was just getting to know me. So I don't remember the questions, but he just wanted to be comfortable with me that I, I guess had the interpersonal skills or what have you. So I don't remember the question. Sorry. Just thought I'd ask. No problem. So he hired me and I arrived in September, as I mentioned. This is only about a week before the season opener, as I recall. And out of the gate, we proceeded to lose our first six games. I mean, the team was selected. The incumbent coach was inherited. And I didn't really have any influence over the first little bit there because I had just arrived. I was more trying to get my trying to get the office organized. I hired an assistant who I want to say he was an intern. I don't even think we paid him. The the whole thing was run on a real shoestring budget. Wow. And I, re- I remember we had a young guy who was in his 20s and he was eager to make his mark in hockey. And he was willing to come on as for I think he agreed to come on for the full year as an unpaid. I'm pretty sure he was unpaid. If, if he was paid, it wasn't much. And so there was just the two of us basically running the office. Uh, the coach wasn't, he wasn't in the office, obviously, but he was in a paid employee as well. So out of the gate, we lost our first six games. I'll never forget it. We had uh, very poor attendance, not much revenue. The ad revenue from the previous year and what was done in the summer was just awful. Way too low to sustain a, a break-even operation. So to understate it, I had my hands full. Fortunately, as I said, I had a lot of autonomy because the owner had several other businesses and was at home in Pennsylvania attending to those things. So it was awesome from the standpoint of I was in control and I knew I was in control. Any big decisions I would, big spending decisions I would run by him, but day to day operations, I was on my own. So after the fifth or sixth game, I remember, guys, I had a meeting with a coach and I had never hired a coach, I had never fired a coach but I knew something needed to give. So when I asked him about what he thought was wrong with the team and what his answers were for getting things headed in the right direction, he really didn't give me much. So I fired him and I was looking for another head coach in a league where I only knew a few people and a city where I knew almost nobody. That was a daunting task to figure out, you know, without a good network there, who would be available after the season already had already started to take over and who would be qualified. So and, and I remember help was go an ahead. unpaid intern. <laughs> Pardon me. And your only help was an unpaid intern. <laughs> right. Right. Nice. Yeah. So that person definitely did not have their own kind of Rolodex to go through and try to call people. <laughs> to, that would be an understatement. Yeah. Uh, no, he was just okay. getting, he was just getting his feet wet. He was just a kid trying to make his way and uh, trying to uh, find, he just loved hockey, right? He just loved the whole thing. So, he was he was he had a great attitude, but he wasn't going to be much help finding me a good coach. That's for sure. So I remember Game Seven was on the Friday. I think I had three days after I fired him on the Tuesday, and I think the game was Friday night. We were playing the best team in the league, the Thunder Bay Flyers. So I'm prepping, I'm working in the office, I'm trying to find a coach, and I wasn't successful by the end of the week. So I decided, well, what option do I have? Put the suit on, get the cigar, and get behind the bench. No, no cigar, but. 
<laughs> I, uh, I was the coach on Friday night. So we're playing the top team and we expected, I expected to get pasted. And I started the uh, second goalie and you know, I just wanted to get a good look at all the players while I was, while I was there. I think, I think I was planning on actually splitting the game because I figured we'd be behind at mid game. I'd start the backup and then get a good look at him. But it ended up, we ended up uh, winning the game six to five. So I'd like to tell you that the media <laughs> coverage was frantic for the next few days because of this huge upset in, in, in Madison, but it wasn't. That would be like saying the Sabres are a lock to win the cup this year. <laughs> there was no media frenzy. Yeah. At least we'd stopped the bleeding and the players and I had a little bit of hope as what, what I took away from beating Thunder Bay that night. So the next week I had a few more days and I hired, ended up hiring Don Granato, who was Tony Granato, who played in the NHL for a long time, his brother, and a very famous hockey family in Wisconsin. And specifically, they had all played at the U, at the University of Wisconsin. And I handed him the keys to the team. And he just happened to be looking for something to do. And as you probably know, Don Granato today is coaching in the NHL. Look at that. The Sabres. Although maybe not for long. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. So... He asked me, interesting, uh, this part of the story I really like. He asked me, not like I sought her out, but he asked me, could he bring his sister Cammie on board as his assistant? And she turned out later to be a hockey hall of famer. One of the first two women with uh, Angela James, I believe, who was inducted into the hockey hall of fame. So he brought Cammie on. And in 1990s, guys, females in hockey, in anywhere other than the office environment, was something I'd never heard of. But I was agreeable to it. I knew they were a great family, and I'm certainly glad in hindsight that I gave Don that the okay, gave him the nod to bring her on. She, I think she came in as a volunteer, so my cheap owner was all for it. <laughs> and so, Sounds like a pretty good how, start, though. You hired, is, uh, uh, do you guys have any questions about that? That's how I made the transition to BGM. Well, you're even 1-0 as a, a coach. Well, thank you, Marcus. Do you know that there are very few coaches in the USHL who have a thousand winning percentage? <laughs> that's that's very, pretty good. And we're talking to one. We're talking to one of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One and oh when I retired, I had the, handed the keys over to Don, and he was a great guy. I mean, I could tell after a couple of weeks that we were going to be hand in glove. We were going to be simpatico, and we had a, a great relationship. It was a terrible year. And it went on to be a disaster where the owner didn't pay for the ice and the arena, you know, locked us out one Monday morning. We couldn't practice. I mean, it was a very tumultuous year. But through all that, Don and I, we respected each other and we were fine. Wow. And Cammy. And Cammy. That's pretty awesome. Well. Cammy, Cammy, was, Cammy was great with the players. They, they loved having someone who was so accomplished because I think she had played or was playing at the University of Wisconsin at the time. I mean, to think about that, though, you are one to know as a coach. Then you went on to hire a coach who's now in the NHL and also his sister who is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. That sounds like some pretty good decisions for a newbie <laughs> GM out of... Uh... Well, it, 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 didn't, it didn't get much better after that. But yeah, I mean, I didn't hire Cammy, but uh, okay, I'll take a little credit for, for giving him the green light. <laughs> you know, considering it was a, a slow start to the season for your team, uh, definitely a pretty big start for you as a GM in that role. But as you mentioned, it was a little tumultuous the rest of the way. So, yeah, I mean, that's I guess that's a little unfortunate. But it did it get any better at the end of that year, or how exactly did that finish off? Oh, it got much, much worse. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 
I, I actually, I'm not particularly proud of this, although it was the decision that I had to make. I actually, he was renting uh, me an apartment in Wisconsin. He was paying the bills for the apartment. And he would come into town, the owner is what I mean, would come into town periodically. And so there was a two bedroom. He, he had a bed for himself. And I was in the apartment most of the time by myself, but I was never there. It was just a place to sleep for a few hours because I was putting in 15, 16 hour days. There was just so much on my plate, but it ended up that he was a very frugal owner. And I'm not sure if he had the money that he said he had back in Pennsylvania. There's no really way I could verify if he was as wealthy as he let on to be, but he ended up really cutting corners, not paying the arena, not paying the advertising agency that was doing our marketing. And I made the decision in February that I was, I hadn't been paid either for several weeks. And I made the decision that I was going to pack up my little car and drive back to Kalamazoo where I still had, I still had my home. I was renting out my home, which is quite a, quite a drive, but I drove back and there was a tournament there in Kalamazoo. I remember it was over a Valentine's weekend and I called him from Kalamazoo and I said, listen, I will not be back in Madison unless you do X, Y, and Z. One of them was pay the arena bill, obviously. So we are current on our ice. And there were three or four demands that I had for him. And I remember he hung up the phone on me and I realized that my days as a GM were over. Now, with that story, you'll recognize that I never actually got fired, <laughs> but <laughs> it felt it felt it, it felt like it. <laughs> Resigned. You resigned, of course. Well, he hung up on me. Isn't that getting fired? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I need to know, though, Kevin, in that year, do you have any trade stories? Because every <laughs> single fan of hockey dreams of, you know, right before trade deadline, they want to be the GM for the day and bring in players that are going to help the team. But you actually got to make trades. So I want to know what it's like, and I would love to hear about a trade if if you could tell us about that yeah okay uh, again probably not my uh, best work as a hockey executive but sure i'll tell you i'll tell you a little bit of behind the scenes stuff there you know i as a coach i was i hadn't i was undefeated behind the bench but uh, not so well mm-hmm. in the gm's chair i was i was only one for two i think i made two trades and the only one worth talking about the first one that went through was quite small the only one that really lends itself to a podcast and I guess a little bit of entertainment for your viewers at my ineptitude would be that I made a trade that was actually rescinded by the commissioner of the league. He actually canceled it the day after I <laughs> filed it with the league. So oh, not my, details. not my we best, not my best work yeah. there. <laughs> Let's hear about it, please. We had a second year player. I remember on our, on our decor, he was big and strong and not very mobile. And, you know, from the previous story, I was telling you, not my kind of player. He was uh, you know, I don't mind having players that are not mobile on the blue line, but you have to be disciplined enough. If people are going by you and, and you're um, hacking and whacking and taking penalties, which he was, I think he was, uh, as I recall, I think he was 17 years old. So he was a young player in the USHL and he had been drafted by the previous regime as their first overall pick. I'm not I, first round pick. He may have been the first overall pick, but regardless, he was he was a high draft pick to the team the previous year. So I inherited him and he was very, he was one of the most undisciplined players that I had ever been on a team with. And this player ended up with almost 300 penalty minutes that year. And I was watching, I probably watched about the first hundred of those minutes with total disdain before I was totally uh, convinced that I had to make a move. We either had to uh, 
coach him off of this sort of um, trajectory he was on as as a real hothead or we needed to to remove him from the team so <laughs> i chose the second one of those i i remember donnie granado was quite frustrated with him as well so we decided we were going to try and trade him and i actually cannot recall even one game where he didn't have at least one minor penalty and quite often he would have three or four in the same game so wow. it came to a head and i remember probably two months into the season so i decided along with uh, donnie granado that you know, I, I felt it would be best for the team if we moved on. And, and we were having a terrible season, so I thought I would try and trade for some younger players, some draft picks, et cetera, and send this defenseman to a team that maybe had a chance to win, which is how it worked out. As I mentioned before, I think it was in my previous story, I had a uh, friend who was the coach and GM of the Sioux City franchise in Iowa in the same league. He had a really good team, and we had been friends for several years, so he was one of my few contacts in the league. So I thought, hey, may as well start the trade talks with a friend. So that's what I did. He, he wanted to be a buyer of players and good players prior to their uh, playoff run. So he and I talked on and off for a couple of weeks about different trades, small ones, big ones. And we ended up with a fairly big one that we put together. I think it was uh, four players and two draft picks in total. And I finally pulled the trigger and gave him what he wanted. It was actually one of my better forwards going his way. And he, that's what he really wanted. But I insisted that he took this hothead D that wouldn't stop taking penalties. I insisted that he be included <laughs> in the trade. So that was two of the players in the trade. I think we got two picks and two players back. I'm pretty sure it was two going out and two players, two picks coming back for the six asset trade. I think it was. And my haul probably wasn't quite good enough in hindsight, but I was just really determined to shake up our team and have an eye on the future. And I just wanted to, uh, Relieve the frustration that our, both our coach and myself felt watching that 17-year-old D play. Well, turns out I maybe should have done my homework because uh, the commissioner, I don't think he had ever revoked trades before, but there was some sort of process that I didn't follow where I had to get permission to trade a player who had not yet graduated from high school. I, was, uh. I, did, not have the, I did not have the authority to trade that, that player on D that I... I won't mention his name, but that I really wanted to move to Sioux City. Apparently, I didn't have the authority to do that without the approval of his family. And I had no idea, so I didn't even speak to his family about it, unfortunately. So the next day, I get a call from the commissioner. And I don't know, but I don't know about you guys, but if you're in your first year as a GM, you're two months in, you do not want to hear this from your assistant. Uh, Kevin, the commissioner's office is on line one. <laughs> Mm. not the call you want to take by the way that was the first and only time i spoke to the commissioner of the league wow yeah i, I guess if a kid is in high school it's kind of a no-no to trade them and make them pick up their life and move somewhere else and well, yeah. well you, don't you know how beautiful sioux city iowa is though like i was doing him a favor we're in madison wisconsin which is a backwater that's not true and i'm sending him to sioux city iowa which is a metropolis that's not true so yeah i, I hear your point <laughs> sioux um, city. minor details yeah. i was actually going to ask you because one of the questions i had written down was you know how did you figure out how to make trades and do some of the things that gm do considering this was your first time and you didn't really know anybody in the league i was going to ask if your friend who was the GM of the other team helped you out, but clearly he also didn't realize that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. He did help me with the, the paperwork and the, the sequence of events that needed to happen. And 
yeah, he wouldn't have known that. Or if he did, yeah, I guess he wouldn't have known it or we wouldn't have tried to try to do that. But uh, I should have mentioned that Sioux City, you know, I was talking about it being a metropolis. Not exactly true because uh, at that time, and it still may be true, there's actually more livestock than people in Sioux City. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd uh, I'd have to do the math on where I live now, too, I think, uh, <laughs> as, as we're making these jokes here. But definitely a, a little bit different than the city, so uh, that's yeah. a, it's interesting. So, I think... like I say, that uh, that was a bit of uh, that was a, well, quite a bit of an embarrassment. And then I had to uh, explain to the team that uh, the trade wasn't going through. I don't know if I give them all the details, but certainly they would have figured it out when it came across that this player would have probably not been one of I, I would have not been one of his favorites going forward. And uh, I know. His father was very involved, too, and quite upset that we were trying to trade his son. And I recall, there's more to the story, but I won't get into it. I recall one night being uh, threatened and uh, trying to find refuge in his room after the game. <laughs> yeah, small town. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been at games where parents get a little bit out of hand, but I can imagine it would be even heightened because the level that you were you know, being the GM at was a little bit different than the hockey that I played. But I do remember even parents at my games getting thrown out of the game, like the referees pointing at them and saying, get out of here. And then the game would stop and they would wait until that person physically left the rink. Yeah. Well, youth hockey is, it's a little intense sometimes. You know, with the player we're talking about, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> I find that often to be the case, <laughs> but yes, I can certainly see what you mean. In that sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody, I know I speak for myself anyways, but I would, I would love to be in a position to be a GM and try to make a trade. And, you know, everyone has all these fantasy leagues. Now <laughs> we obviously have our fantasy hockey league that we talk about too. And it's, it's always interesting and fun to, to be able to weigh options and, and go back and forth and you make a trade and someone makes a counter and, you know, you go until you reach an agreement, but to hear the stories of real GMs doing things and well, trying to do things, I should say, <laughs> and then getting rescinded. Uh, it's a little bit different in real life than it is when you're playing something online, right? Well, I mean, in your profession, that would be like having the minister of education uh, call and say, uh, you know, uh, you probably don't want to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luckily that's never happened to me. So, so far, no, so good. It, it won't. It won't. I've, I've been a teacher for 22 years and the Minister of Education and I have never had a conversation. And I wish I could say that about the USHL commissioner and I, but I can't. In your short time, though, you certainly accomplished a lot in that role. That is certainly true. Well, thank you. We won 10 games that year and we, we were locked out of the arena. So I don't know how much I accomplished. But... So did you go 10 and 6? <laughs> <laughs> 10 wins, we, well, 6 we, losses <laughs> we, I think it was a 60 game schedule or something and I think we won 10 or 11 games again I was gone by Valentine's Day and, and I, I, what, I, what I didn't know and I really didn't know this until this week when I started going back and looking at the records from the years that I was there is that Donnie Granato did not make it through the season there were three coaches that year for the remainder probably after I left there was another another guy's name that I don't recognize mm. came in as the third coach. So really? it was a very, very chaotic year. And I felt really bad for our players. I really mm -hmm. did. We had some great, great young men on that team. It's yeah. not their fault, right? You know, well, poor right. ownership, I guess. And I mean, not to that exact level, but you know, when you're talking about stories like that, it, it certainly makes you think about 
some teams in the NHL and how some teams are a lot more stable than others. And the management top down is obviously a little bit more mm, professional, let's say. And, uh, you know, some of the stories like us talking about Arizona last week or two weeks ago when they missed some payments. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, you just you would never think of that as an right. NHL team missing payments on taxes for their buildings, for their arena. Right. Uh, but it does happen right. at every level. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, if you if you really look at it, uh, Donnie Granado and I were in, in Madison and we've both been very successful. He, he's in the he's in the NHL and I'm, I'm here with you guys on face offs and fantasy. So, I mean, it's a real comparable. <laughs> I would say certainly salary wise as well. I would think. I mean, it, I'll tell you what. I watched the Sabers play this week. If he could trade places with me right now, he probably would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they started off all right at the beginning of the season, but for know, them, the good news is Owen Power is coming, and hopefully, uh, they'll get another high draft pick this year. But whew, that was one of the eleven teams that Marcus named last week that has never won a Stanley Cup, Kevin. It's sad. That's those, those fans are. They're deserving of so much more. And I feel bad because, you know, I watch I watch the team struggle. And it's just, you know, it's almost like the Red Wings. Can Granato survive? Does he have the capital with the owner to survive the same way Blashill has done in Detroit to see the rebuild through and get to the other side? Like, I, I actually think that Blash might be there for the the good times in Detroit. But I, I don't I don't think so for Don, unfortunately, Don Granato. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's very dependent on how the team performs as well because at least with Detroit this year, you're actually seeing a team performing above what they were expected to do. And, I mean, when all's said and done, they might be fighting for that second wildcard spot near the end of the season. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, with, with Buffalo, unfortunately, it's just been year after year of disappointment. But I still think this year they're playing significantly better than they have in the past couple seasons. I mean, you, you think about last year, that losing streak that they had. I'm not sure it gets much lower than that low right there. Well, they had a good start. You mentioned they were one of the surprise teams in the league for the first month, but they, they've fallen on hard times recently. And I watched them play this week, and it was ugly. Well, not to put you on the spot here, Kevin, but speaking of teams that had a hot start and then slowed down a little bit, I'd love to hear what you think about the Edmonton Oilers. I was just talking to a friend about that this morning, and his statement to me was, how many more days or weeks are going to go by before McDavid says to ownership, I need out. That's been sort of the talking point we've been talking about this morning. And the other thing is the goaltending. You know, they're searching for an answer. And I think Ken Holland's a great hockey man. He's proven that time and time again. But he made a terrible, terrible decision about the goaltending last summer. Yeah, sticking with the status quo when clearly the status quo wasn't working. I mean, Mike yeah. Smith obviously had a big season last year. But th this is why, you know, when I talked about teams that are going through rebuilds, I see... Detroit having a really solid rebuild because how does Steve Eiserman go and get Nadelkovich for a third round pick? How is no other team in the league offering more than a third round pick for that guy? I, I just don't get it. Like how, how would he not be an immediate upgrade on anything that Edmonton has right now? And yet Edmonton was in the sweepstakes to try to get Darcy Kemper and they had a first round pick in play for that. Like I just, yeah, I it's a great, it's a great question. Great point. There are two or three players that Eisman has picked up for undervalue, especially Robbie Fabry comes to mind too. He, oh, he just yeah. signed a new he just signed a new three year deal, mm -hmm. and and I think if you go back and look for uh, what De Detroit gave up to get Fabry, it's not much. 
No, not much at all. St. Louis had to move on from him because they couldn't afford to pay him right, right after the championship as well, right? So, yeah, it's it's crazy. The, it's almost like he focuses on second tier, third tier, knowing he can't get the first tier. But then because of that, and that's his sole focus, he ends up like swindling people. Like, is he going to be the new Lou Lamorello where people yeah. are just afraid yes. to answer the phone? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's a great point. He's done an amazing job there, and, and the, the future looks bright for, for the Red Wings. I mean, they've got some great young players, including Raymond. Yeah, heck of a team. But, you know, we talked about this on our last pod. Unfortunately, Edmonton is not the only Canadian team who started hot and now has fallen off the face of the planet. You know, Calgary's having that same problem too. And, uh, you know, we should probably shout out our boy here, Marcus, Matt Murray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Matt Murray is on a two-game winning streak. Two-game winning streak. He has two wins on the season, yep. but he's on a two-game winning streak. So I'm telling you, Sean, he's rebuilding his career. He's coming back. Oh, man. So am I to infer that you guys own him in fantasy or something? Uh, no. We've we've spoken ill of him several times on this show. And oh, okay. He, okay. I'm sure you heard of when he got sent down to the minors there. After yeah. his really slow start, he was 0-6. His numbers were just terrible. And yeah. uh, he basically spoke to the media and said, I don't get it. I don't understand why I'm being sent down. And we kind of just were looking at each other like, um, have you looked at your numbers this year, man? Because no offense. But I, but I won two cups a number of years ago. I, you know, isn't that good for something? Uh, no. Good uh, enough for six no, losses. No, in it's row. not. No, it's not. It's we, not. Can't, we, can't have, we can't have you letting in every second shot, even though you have, uh, have your name on a cup. Yeah. But uh, they beat Edmonton last night. So they're, they're on a roll here. They're on a roll. And Connor and Leon did not get a goal, neither one of them. Yes, they have slowed off quite a bit. I was actually looking at the stats this morning. Do you know who's – it's either tied second or third place now in points in the league? No idea. Name that. Nazem Kadri. Kadri's uh, fifth. Ovechkin's fourth. There's mm. somebody else that's now jumped up into that conversation with Dreisaitl and, and McDavid. Plays for the gonna... Florida Panthers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jonathan Huberto. Oh. Good thing I got him in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, you, you have Ovechkin and Huberdeau, yeah. man. You're going off. I told you to take him. Yeah. Huberdeau's a great pick. They are, scored are the, nine are the Florida, goals last night. Are the Florida Panthers beating everybody by five goals or more this week? or what? I, every time I look oh, at yeah. the summaries, I'm just like, what is going on down in Sunrise? It's the depth. I mean, you got, you got Huberdeau and Barkov playing together. But then you also look down that lineup, and you see guys like Verhage having good seasons. Sam Bennett, Sam Bennett scored another hat-trick the other night, right? They have guys like uh, Duclair playing on the depth pieces as well. They got, um, what's his name, from Pittsburgh? Who, who do they trade uh, from Pittsburgh? Oh, Patrick Hor- Hornquist. Patrick Hornquist is on that team, yeah. right? Like, you're thinking about looking down that lineup and, and top to bottom in terms of offense. That's, that's depth right there. That's what that is. Yeah. But uh, not as good as our depth, right, Marcus? And suddenly, uh, suddenly Bobrovsky seems to be uh, figuring things out again as well. So, yeah, they must be one of the top three or four contenders for the Cup right now, I would think, the Panthers. And when was the last time they did any damage in the playoffs? Uh, not true. not any significant uh, damage anytime soon. They've actually run into the same problems as the Leafs, where they've had good teams in, in recent years, but they have not been able to break through in the playoffs. But much like the Leafs, unfortunately, I don't think it's their fault. <laughs> playing Tampa Bay every friggin' year in the playoffs and Boston every mm-hmm. year in the playoffs, it's kind of hard to break through. There's really not a whole lot you can do. But at this moment, right here, right now, they are first place in the NHL. Yeah, and, and more more power to them. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. 
but uh, we'll see. There's uh, our division is just so unfortunate. <laughs> like the Leafs are currently sixth place in the NHL. First place is Florida. Second place is Tampa. Tampa. Not only are the two teams ahead of us in our division, ahead of us just within the division, they are literally first and second place in the NHL. That's right. what we have in our division in the Atlantic. Well, so. and if you've seen the Bru- if you've seen the Bruins play lately, uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with again as well. They're starting to heat up. Yeah, if they win their next game because they have one game in hand on us, they're actually only three points behind the Leafs in the standings. So. Yeah, our division is just nuts. Crazy, crazy. But you know what? It is what it is. Hopefully hopefully we can win a round in the playoffs because that would be ideal. But at this point, it looks like we're going to be playing one of Florida or Tampa. And, uh, yeah, that will not be a very fun game. The Leafs beat a very good hockey club last night. Yes, they certainly did. That is true. It's a good back-and-forth game, actually. And uh, Marcus's boy, McKayev, scored the game winner. Mm. He's back. (laughs) Timothy Lilgren scored his first NHL goal as well. Pretty impressive. I, I'm just hoping it will be his last myself. Not a fan, but. Oh, yeah? No. But would you prefer Justin no, Hall? Uh, I actually would. I, I don't think uh, Lilligren has the mobility. I don't think he turns well enough. And I think he's uh, he's uh, a real liability for against a fast forward, a fast opponent. Yeah, he certainly seems a little bit more stiff out there, but. I will say the one thing the Leafs lack and have been lacking for a number of seasons is right shot defensemen and certainly homegrown right shot defensemen. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed here that, you know, the development comes a little bit more and, and hopefully he can assert himself, but we don't need him as a top four. So as long as he's in that bottom pairing and playing that sixth role, I mean, I don't see it as too much of a problem for us. I hope you're right. Me too. Me too. Cause (laughs) I don't really know what else we can do for this team besides get some more depth uh, on defense. We certainly don't need more forwards, and we certainly don't need another goalie. Yeah, so Sean and Marcus, what else is on the agenda for today? Well, when it comes to uh, the podcast, one thing that I wanted to talk about today was the new commercial that came out. The HDA, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, teamed up with Budweiser, and they came out with a commercial. Did both of you get a chance to see that commercial? I did. Kevin, yes. Marcus? I did not. I have not seen it. At a later date. That's okay. So it's a new, uh, I mean, it's a commercial, but I guess it's more of a trend, right? Because what they've done in it, it's called Tape Out. Uh, Tape Out the Hate is essentially what it is. So they've created literally hockey tape that has the words Tape Out on it. And Budweiser is obviously um, pitching in in terms of the money, but every single roll of hockey tape that's sold, one dollar of it will go to the HDA. So the Hockey Diversity Alliance is starting to build a bit of a fund so that they can start doing a little bit more um, in in the context of you know supporting people and supporting players and supporting um, just human beings. It was a really good commercial though. I really do think it hit where it needed to hit. What happened in the commercial is you see current NHL players. So you're talking about guys that are playing right now, you know, Nazim Kadri, for those of you who are Leafs fans, you remember him playing in Colorado. Wayne Simmons was in the commercial as well. Matt Dumba, who plays for the Minnesota Wild. You know, you're seeing guys who are playing currently in the NHL and they were showing essentially social media messages that they've received this season. So it's talking about current stuff and it's just really disturbing messages that they're receiving that are blatantly racist messages. And so it's kind of just letting people know, you know, it's not just about starting this conversation. It's not just about talking about the past and things that have happened 
This is literally still happening today. And we are still dealing with racism in hockey today. And so this is something where they're trying to bring attention to it and, and showing you, you know, maybe you're a huge Wayne Simmons fan. Well, guess what? These are the kinds of things that he has to deal with on a daily basis. If you're a big Kadri fan, same thing, dealing with this stuff on a daily basis. I really do think it hit the points it meant to hit, bringing attention to everybody, showing them that it's a current problem in the NHL right now. And it's not just happening in minor leagues and it's not just happening, you know, 10, 15 years ago, just bringing that awareness to everybody to let them know what's going on. And, you know, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, Marcus, the HDA split from the NHL. So there's no affiliation at the moment between the NHL and the HDA. I believe what happened is the HDA approached the NHL, said, here's a list of things we want from you. And the NHL said, no, I don't know what was on that list. I'm assuming there's money related to it where the HDA probably asked the NHL for a certain amount of money. Um, and maybe that's why the NHL said no. But either way, it's something where they're getting out there. They're still finding sponsors that are massive. You know, Budweiser obviously has a lot of influence across all of North America. And so to be able to come out with a commercial like that, that shows awareness and brings an actionable thing that people can do. You can go out and you can buy this hockey tape. And by buying this hockey tape, you are actually donating money to the HDA and helping them to be able to build on what they've started here and hopefully be able to support more people along the way. So starting the conversation about racism in hockey, but also showing that it's current because I think a lot of people just, you know, think oh well it doesn't happen here well no it does happen here it happens to guys who play for the toronto maple leafs it happens to guys who play for the colorado avalanche it happens to guys who play for the minnesota wild it does happen so it's good to get it out there and it's good to have that conversation kevin you saw it as well did you have any thoughts that you want to add uh yeah just that i echo a lot of what you're saying i just maybe i'm naive uh i guess i am but i i just had no idea the the number of people the number of intolerant ignorant rude people who would disparage somebody they don't even know just because they're famous and maybe they've had more success in their craft than that person has or because they are just someone who is full of hate haven't we haven't we come to a point where that is the lower percentage of our of our population like it, it just seems to me like it's ongoing and we can talk about it if you'd like on a future podcast, but I have a, uh, an acquaintance, who Bernie Saunders, who has written a book about anti-black racism. And, and he's, he's telling me that, you know, he's just the same as me. He just can't believe that we haven't made more progress on this issue and that people are, are still, uh, black and other minority groups are still enduring this hate. Yeah. It's, I mean, as you know, as well as an educator myself too, like this is huge conversations happening here in Ontario anyways. And yeah, it, it really is crazy to see, we'll say that the different level of recognition or the different level of knowledge that some people have compared to others about what's happening today in our society and what is currently happening today uh, amongst everybody. Yeah. So it's, it's something that at least it brings light to the conversation and you know, most of us, like you said, Kevin, we're already at least a little bit aware of, you know, what racism is, what anti-black racism is. But I think that there are a lot of people who don't have that knowledge and don't have that base. So I think it's a good start. It's a good start for them to start a little bit slow, show people about the, the physical things that are happening at this moment. 
And once people realize that it is a problem right now, then you can start a little bit more with those more in-depth conversations and try to bring in some more maybe knowledge and vocab that people can become a little bit more familiar with as we go on. Right. So if I'm hearing you right, you think they're starting with the shock, the, the shock impact, and then we can we can go back and and figure out maybe some methods of, of change after people are rightfully shocked by what they're seeing other people yeah. say. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because you know, you want to make sure that people aren't, aren't saying that it's not happening. Right. So this was a way to, to say, you know what, from the start, this is what we're dealing with. These are examples of stuff that's happening right now. You can't deny that it's happening. We are showing you the proof that it's happening. So now that we're all on the same page and we can say this is happening to people in the NHL right now, now everybody's kind of bought into the, okay, at least we have some of the examples and, and let's go from there. But yeah, it's definitely just the start of this conversation. And I think this plays into a lot of the stuff that we've talked about throughout our podcast since it started with Kevin being here last time, talking about everything that happened with the scandal in Chicago. Marcus and I talking a little bit about the shift in upper management in the NHL and talking about how you know a little bit of that old school is starting to fall out and we're starting to see this new wave. Uh, of people who care a little bit more and are a bit more accepting. And I think that this is an overall shift that's happening in the hockey culture. I don't think it's going to happen fast. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think it's going to take time, but I do think that we're heading in the right direction at the very least. Yeah. And, and I, I think this is a really big issue that we don't have time for today, but if you guys want to uh, explore it on a future podcast, I have some thoughts on it racism and, and inequity in pro hockey. And those thoughts are also related to uh, a book that I'll give a shout out to if any of our listeners are interested in these issues. Uh, there is a book by Bernie Saunders called Shut Out that sheds a lot of light on uh, what black players specifically have had to endure in pursuing the sport that they love and that we all love. Yeah, that's uh, a great shout out. Uh, I'm going to be reading that book at some point. I haven't had the chance yet. But for sure, we can talk about that on a future episode, Kevin, if you want to come on and we can uh, discuss the book and break down a little bit and go into a bit more detail. I think that that'd be something that would be very much uh, important for our, our listeners to hear. Great. So we're going to jump into a lighthearted quiz question. And uh, so I'm going to be asking the quiz question to Kevin and Sean. Um, both of you are welcome to answer and just say what you think the answers are so the question is since the year 2000 there have been five first overall draft picks that have won the calder trophy who are they Whew. since 2010 since 2000 oh since 2000, 2000. okay yeah. all right well one of ovechkin or crosby right i assume it was crosby would have been oh four are we doing this together kevin I'm thinking. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking Crosby. I'm thinking Stamkos. I'm thinking Patrick Kane. How many did you say there was? Five. So how about, yeah, you, you write your list down, and Kevin, you have your list, and then you'll, you can compare your answers. And this is the first overall pick that won it. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Five um, first overall picks since the year 2000 have won the Calder Trophy. Mm-hmm. And Calder Trophy is given out, awarded to the Rookie of the Year. Okay, okay. And um, you mentioned Crosby and Ovechkin. Is that what you said so far, Sean? Did I miss anything? 
Well, yes. So I yeah, did. but you're gonna make your own list. So you're gonna make your own separate yeah. list. Marcus didn't oh, explain list. to us at the beginning that we're doing separate well, lists sharing. It sounded list. like Sean's oh. got his own list, so I figured <laughs> we're gonna change it up and and Kevin, you're thinking, so you got your your five that you're gonna think of, and Sean's gonna think of his five, and then we're gonna see who's got more or who got them all or, or whatnot. All right, we'll share. Well, I can list. predict right now that I will not be winning this contest. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Oh, come on, Mr. GM of the Year. First overall picks. Yep. First overall picks. Well, am I supposed to say them out loud or write them down? Uh, just write them down for now, and then when you when you have your five, then we'll we'll compare. Got it. Okay. Uh, I don't. I know I'm not going to win this, but I have a list. Okay. I'm ready. Do you have a list? Sure. Yeah. I got five names. Okay. So who wants to go first? Okay, I'll take the plunge, even though All I'm right. not too confident in my memory. I will say that uh, Sidney Crosby probably won as the first overall pick, along with Ovechkin, Ekblad. I'm going to say Patrick Kane, although I'm not sure he was first overall. And the one guy that I know won the Calder Trophy but was not the first overall pick, I know I'm going off the board, just to keep you all entertained, you Leaf fans, was Andrew Raycroft in 2003 or 2002. Andrew Raycroft was the rookie of the year. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we traded Tuka Rask for him. Anyway, I don't have a fifth one, but I'm going to go with Ekblad, Crosby, Ovechkin, and Kane. Okay. okay, okay. Well, unfortunately, Kevin, I believe Crosby and Ovechkin were the same year because mm. of the lockout. So I, th I think that they would have been eligible for rookie of the year in the same season. I'm picking Crosby between Crosby and Ovechkin. Hopefully I'm right on that one. I know Crosby had over 100 points in his rookie year, so that should be enough for it. I'm mm. also going with John Tavares, Steven Stamkos, Patrick Kane, and Austin Matthews. Those are my five names, Marcus. So you had Crosby, Stamkos, Stamkos Tavares, Tavares, Kane, Kane, and Matthews. And Matthews. And then um, Kevin, you had I, I had Crosby, four. Ovechkin, Kane, Ekblad. and Ekblad. Ekblad. Kane. Yeah. Okay. So let me go through the names. Alexander Ovechkin won the Calder Trophy ah, that year <laughs> against Crosby. Against Crosby. Darn so it. It would have been the 2005-2006 season. Smart to put both of their names down, Kevin. Right. Then you get at least one right. Right. Yeah, the 2005-2006 season. Because Alex, Alex Ovechkin was drafted in 2004, but his first NHL season was the same season as Crosby, and actually Ovechkin also had over 100 points. Oh. He, he scored 50 goals. Damn. Patrick Kane in 2007 won the Calder Trophy. Okay. 2013. Nathan McKinnon Ugh. won the Calder Trophy. Really? Yep. He didn't even do that well. Maybe it was a weak year that, that year. Wow. 2014, Aaron Ekblad won the Calder Trophy. Wow. So that's three points so far for Kevin. Kevin. And one for me. One point for Sean. And 2016, Austin Matthews won the Calder Trophy. So, Kevin. You actually won. <laughs> you had, you well, it's, it's, three it, points it seems like a, and, seems like uh, a hollow, vic <laughs> hollow victory, only getting three out of five. But uh, I was with an inferior opponent today, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Very kind of you. You only guessed four, and you got three correct. Mm. 
Oh well. No, I really, I really thought Sean would beat me on that one. His memory, his memory is a lot better than mine. Well, recency bias, anyways. You had some good yeah. names though, Sean. I just assumed Stamkos and Tavares won, but I guess they didn't in their years. No, I guess not. Well, looking back I on wanted, it now, I wanted, to, I wanted to say yeah. Kale McCarr, but I, I don't even know if uh, he, he, he. First of all, he wasn't the uh, first overall pick. He should have been, but he wasn't. No, he was not the first overall pick. Unfortunately, that was the year that. Um, I think it was Heischer and Patrick, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, did you guys read? Did you see what Bobby Clark said in the media? I did about yeah. about Makar being passed over by Ron Hextall in favor of Nolan Patrick. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen an executive in the NHL carve up a former employee like he did. Yeah, that was pretty unexpected. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't expecting him to to make that big of a deal out of it in the media, but certainly looking back on it now, oh, any team who drafted before Colorado the year that McCarr was drafted is kicking themselves. For sure. Yeah, here's here, here's a fun fact. Where did Kale McCarr play his junior hockey? That one is a great... I, I should have given you that off air. <laughs> Marcus, you could have used that one next yeah. week. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really strange, strange route, I think, to the NHL. Worked for him, and uh, he's getting paid nine million dollars a year next year. So, good for him. But he's almost yeah. he's almost up to twenty goals this season already as oh, a wow. defenseman, and he missed a bit of time as well for injury. So, just incredible generational talent on defense. That is guys, be a guys, is, is it is guys? Is it blasphemous for me to say Bobby Orr? Is that is that too? Is that just over the top? Um. Maybe at this point, it's a little early to make those comparisons, I think. But certainly... He's definitely a talented defenseman, but I don't know at uh, Bobby Orr level. He he is pretty darn good at hockey. He's definitely as good as we've seen in a very long time on defense. You know, the offensive dynamic is there, and everybody can see his skating and his offense. But if you look at his metrics for defensive play... He is, uh, I believe, in the top five in, in several categories for, you know, all those metrics they use related to um, expected goals against, et cetera. Yeah, he's a hell of a player. I mean, he's also playing on a phenomenal team, which helps too. But yeah, certainly him, like the next wave of young defensemen, him and, and Adam Fox stick out in my mind from mm-hmm. the New York Rangers. And you're going to see Owen Powers is also going to be an absolute stud once he makes the NHL. Um, no, no, I, I'm not so sure about that one. You don't think so? He's going he's gonna to be a great player. But if we're talking about the Kale McCarr comparison, I, I, I think that's apples and oranges. I think Owen Power will be solid. He'll be more of a maybe a Chris Pronger type. <laughs> oh, what a what a bad comparison. <laughs> Chris Pronger, what a bad player he was. No, I, I hear you. I was more just talking about the influx of young, talented defensemen coming into the league. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at because I certainly wouldn't put him at the same level as as McCarr and Adam Fox, but even a guy like Maurice Sider, you can see there's some really good young talent in the league on defense that's coming up. Mm-hmm. And it's just exciting to see. It's amazing. The game is the game has never been more entertaining to me. Well, According to you, but according to John Tortorella, John Tor- John Tortilla, um, John Tortilla. <laughs> according to him, the the Zegers assist is actually bad for the game of hockey, Kevin. So I, I don't know what you're talking. John about. John has a few issues. <laughs> Understatement. One, yeah. he's a burrito skin. <laughs> <laughs> 
It, uh, although, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Tortorella. He, he's definitely, you know, on the Mike Keenan tree of expired coaches. Uh, but uh, I, if you look at his backstory and how he made it to his, uh, the top of his profession as a Stanley Cup winner, it's, it's actually quite impressive. Oh, yeah. He's, he's earned his stripes, that's for sure. But you know, last, yeah. last episode or a couple episodes ago, we were just talking about how that has to be one of the worst takes I've ever heard in current media. And uh, maybe TNT is kicking themselves a little bit for, for making that hiring. I don't know. But uh, anyways, it is what it is. Certainly some good young players in the league right now. And unfortunately for John Tortorella, I think that's the direction that we're heading. So the rest of us can be happy about it. But would you, if you're TNT, would you rather have somebody who's vanilla or someone who's going to say crazy things and controversial things, right? Exactly. The shock factor. Shock factor. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're, they're in the entertainment business, and it got people talking. That's for sure. All right. Well, I think we're going to be wrapping it up right about now. So, Kevin, we wanted to give another big shout-out. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm assuming this is not the last time, unless you're getting a little bit tired of us. We would love to have you back for some more stories and some more conversations about NHL. And my pleasure. It was it was really enjoyable. I enjoyed it both times I've been on. So keep in touch. And if we want to tackle any other interesting topics in the future, uh, I hope I can join you. For sure. We'll have you on. Thanks, again. Sean. Thanks, yep. Marcus. Thank and, you, Kevin. And by the way, Marcus, you, you do a great job with editing these. I, I after the, the last time I was on, I was just uh, I was just really impressed with the final product. And I know that's mostly Marcus. So great job. Well, actually, Sean is starting to take a crack at it now. So the most recent couple episodes, he's actually getting the first edit, and then I'm just doing a couple couple touch-ups afterwards, but it's mostly Sean, so he's uh, he's dipping his feet into the water. What a ta- multi-talented yeah. podcast host. <laughs> Marks is much more meticulous, yeah, I would say, than myself. So <laughs> That's why I said I'll do the final edit, yeah. but you know, you're <laughs> doing the, the rough, first draft, the rough draft. The first rough draft, rough cut, that's me, but Marcus is the detailed detail-oriented person who goes through and, and makes it sound nice, Kevin. So, Well, you know, the last thing I wanted to mention was I, I was convinced up until your Owen Power opinion that you were going to be the next GM of the Wisconsin Capitals, <laughs> but I'm not so sure. Man. <laughs> I'm sure they'd love to have Owen Power on the team. <laughs> oh, yeah. I uh, know. He scored a hat trick for uh, the World Junior Canadian team there, Kevin. First defenseman. Oh, he's going to be, score he's a, gonna be a solid player, but let's not get carried away with uh uh was it a hat trick against a, a weak opponent in the world juniors i mean there's a lot more to playing defense in the nhl than that i i i think he's going to be a fine player and um the sabers are going to be happy to have him. well we might see him for team canada at the yeah. olympics yeah oh yeah that is true are we going to be are we going to be watching that at two in the morning or or no pvr <laughs> all right well thank you kevin thank you sean wonderful talking to you guys and we'll see everybody next week